And so then in 2008, you know, even though my initial feeling was elation, like, yes, I'm finally free. I'm finally on my own. I can call my own shots. Now I've got my own business, barely scraping by. I, I think I was making like $10,000 a year. Um, and so like I was... I was hardly able to like get enough money to even give my dog like full portions. That was the hardest part was that like my lifestyle couldn't even support the one person who depended on me. Well, for the longest time, I just had the blinders on. I was like probably a lot of Americans where they say like uh, most Americans couldn't pay for an unexpected expense of like $400. That was definitely me. Because Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. The show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires will unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 331. Don't have a ton of housekeeping today. In fact, today we have a super special treat. We have a returning co-host, Clark. In fact, this episode is from the archives. So we recorded this in the summer of 2021 with Jeff. At the time his net worth was 670000 And he basically said he was going to come back on the show in 2025. However, he came back on in 2023. And so we will release his millionaire episode on Monday. But thought it'd be interesting to have his soon-to-be-millionaire episode, even though we recorded a couple years ago, released today. So with that, let's get into the interview with Jeff. Jeff, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. Uh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to meet you guys virtually. And uh, I would say that uh, I I describe my my pseudonym, my, uh, my alter ego on my blog, is the combination of uh, Jack Bogle, if he met RuPaul and they had a baby, that baby would be called homo money. And uh, that's, that's kind of like the alter ego that I like to, to blog from. And uh, I've, I've learned definitely a lot from the School of Hard Knocks, making a lot of mistakes, which I know you guys ask about that later. I, I was pretty like top of my class um, growing up in high school, uh, went to film school for college, uh, was able to graduate from uh, college without any student loan debt, thanks to uh, the Navy ROTC scholarship. Um, got a degree in film, which now I use a little bit with my full-time job. And, uh, you know, after serving in the military six years, um, I bought I bought a condo, and then I took equity from the condo, and I bought a house, not knowing what I was doing. And, uh, you know, then I lost everything when we had the downturn, because that was around the time I got out of the military. So then in 2008, I was, uh, I was honorably discharged, trying to make ends meet with my own business. And that was really tough. That was like the hardest time of my life. And so then that was about age 28. So then it age 30, that's when I got the opportunity to uh, get a government job. And so, you know, veterans, we, it's a little bit easier to get our foot in the door with uh, stable government jobs. And so, you know, when that came around, I was just like, you know, it was a life preserver because it was just so hard. Um, I, I have so much respect for people who can make a full-time living of running their own business. So for me, it's like, it's good for a little side hustle, but I really like the stability and the job security of having something like a government job. So I've been doing that since, uh, since I was 30, uh, that was like, uh, 2010. 
So now I've been there almost 11 years and I'll be retirement eligible after cashing in my six years with the Navy, be retirement eligible in 13 years, retire at 55. And a lot of people in the fire community talk about like, are you going to retire at like lean fire or fat fire or regular fire? And uh, because I have to wait until 55, that's my my earliest retirement year or age. I'll be at fat fire at that point because I'll just I'll have so much time letting my 401k grow and you know I'll keep uh, working on real estate investments and Roth IRA all that stuff in the meantime. So that's uh, that's me up until today. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? Um, so it's interesting uh, question because uh, when we first connected three and a half months ago, it was like it was three. Uh, I'm sorry, six hundred thousand. And the numbers, the math was so nice and clean. I was like, you know, I'll be able to just break this down so easily for the listeners. And now, three and a half months later, it's like grown from six hundred thousand to six hundred and almost seventy thousand. And uh, I think that's that. It's really exciting when you get to that certain point where you know your nest egg is just taking off. It's just growing faster than you could put into it. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I figured when we do the breakdown, I'll just kind of go with the simpler numbers because I don't want to over overwhelm people with like the specifics. Yeah, totally. Let's get into the breakdown. So, so what is it? Uh, so it's about fifty-fifty split. Um, I've got three hundred thousand, or I, I did have three hundred thousand in my four hundred one k. Now it's more. And about three hundred thousand equity in between two different pieces of real estate. Uh, my first piece of real estate I got about four years ago, um, so that's about two hundred fifty thousand. It's one bedroom condo in San Diego. I put that thing on Airbnb pretty early on, and just like that's been going gangbusters, like ninety percent occupancy or more. And I was able to pay that off uh, earlier this year. So uh, now that's totally cash flow positive. My first cash flow positive piece of real estate. And uh, then I've got about 50000 in a second condo that I bought um, about nine months ago. And, uh, and that, that second condo, that was more like I, I was so fed up with COVID and just like being stuck inside for so long. And I was house hacking, like living with, with multiple roommates. I was in a three bedroom apartment for 10 years and I was like, and working from home, I was like, that's enough. Like I need to start living life and start enjoying myself a little bit more. So I'm buying a condo. It's not going to be a smart financial decision and I'm going to upgrade myself and get my own space. And, uh, and funny enough, it's like, I, I had to um, come out to DC for a work uh, detail, and uh, and it's 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 interesting to see that like I've been able to find renters like travel nurses for almost the entire time I've been out here. That's uh, more than covered the uh, mortgage. And I thought, well, this isn't going to be a smart financial decision. This is just going to be like a splurge purchase. So it was a really nice um, surprise to see that you know it could be not just a liability, but it could be an asset anytime I'm not there living there. Um, so, so anyway, that's uh, 250 plus the 50,000 for between the two properties in equity, and then 300,000 in my uh, 401k. And uh, with uh, government employees, it's called TSP, Thrift Savings Plan, and that is divided up about 40, 40, 20. So I've got 40% in the C fund, 40% in the S fund, that's a uh, small cap and large cap, and then 20% in um, the G fund, which is like the bond fund. And um, uh, or is it like called government securities, actually? So. So, yeah, like uh, I I've been kind of hanging out with that extra 20 percent in the G fund. Um, so I have a little bit that's in a conservative uh, 
piece of my portfolio. So then if and when there's a correction, I don't have to feel like I need to time the market perfectly. Um, I can just, when that point comes and it's like, all right, well now I'll reallocate, uh, I'll, I'll reallocate my, my portfolio and now I'll move that 20% into the C and the S fund, but I don't have to get emotional and I don't have to feel like I have to pull the trigger at just the right time and then uh, kick myself if I didn't pull it at the right time. So that's my way of like doing the buy and hold strategy and trying to ride out the highs and the lows. Um, but uh, feeling like I was able to take advantage a little bit of like buying low after there is uh, a, a correction. After COVID, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Other corrections, yeah. After COVID, yeah. After there's a correction. So, Jeff, let's jump back to the story first, and then we'll get into the allocation and the real estate. And you talk about how you have the rental, the cash flow. So, take us back to 2008. You said when times were tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what What would you like to hear about that? Just everything. I mean, you, you joined the military. How old were you? Oh man. Um, well, I, I've been used to living on my own for a long time, so maybe that's a part of my psychology. I I Maybe growing up a gay kid, I never felt like I was, uh, I never felt at home or like I really fit in, in a small town in the Midwest. And so like I, I went to a math and science academy that was in the Chicago suburbs, like five hours away. And, and so I moved out of, I moved away from home by choice at like 14 and I was kind of doing the whole like college experience of living in a dorm, um, away from family you know, a pretty young age. And so then, and then I was the first one in my family uh, to actually move out of state by going to film school out in California. And, and so, yeah, like in 2008, um, I think your question was about like what that was like in 2008, like going, joining the military. I, I guess I was used to just being on my own and kind of figuring out hard situations. And, and for me, like, joining the military was the hardest job I have ever had in my life. And so now it's like, uh, working a government job, even on the, the worst days, it's like not nearly as bad as how it was, um, in the military. And so like, I totally tip my hat to people who, you know, they stick it out for 20 years until retirement, because for me, I just, I never resonated with the job. It, it never, it never excited me. And so then add to that, you know, serving under don't ask, don't tell. It was like, it was like psychological warfare, having to constantly like have my guard up and have have different like half truths that I could tell if somebody asked like, you know, well, are you single? Uh, where do you like to go for fun? What bars do you like to go to? Are you dating anybody? What kind of girls do you like? And so, yeah, that was that was really tough. And so I just knew I have to get out as soon as I can. Uh, this is not a long term play for me. Um, and so then in 2008, you know, even though my initial feeling was elation, like, yes, I'm finally free. I'm finally on my own. I can call my own shots. Now I've got my own business barely scraping by. I, I think I was making like $10,000 a year. Um, and so like, um, I was, I was hardly able to like get enough money to even give my dog like full portions. That was the hardest part was that like my lifestyle couldn't even support the one person who depended on me. And so she was getting really skinny and her ribs were showing. And luckily, I guess, because my my financial situation was so dire, going from having the steady military income to then being self-employed and hardly making anything, when we had the real estate correction, then I had to file, like I had to write a hardship letter to be able to do a short sale with the mortgage uh, company. And so that was just kind of like a very easy sell because it was just so clear that 
I was not able to afford these mortgages anymore. And, uh, and so that was like super stressful, but I guess the, the saving grace was that my, because I was defaulted on my mortgages, well, then I didn't have that as an expense. And I was, I was able to live in my, one of my primary residences. Um, I was able to live in one of those pieces of real estate as with like rent free. And so that is how I was able to survive living in San Diego for $10,000 a year. And yeah, it was, it was tough times. I, before I finally like defaulted on that, that loan, then, uh, I was just kind of like, I was still trying to keep my head above water, keep the house and the condo rented. And I would, uh, I would rent a bedroom and then I would feel like I'm not comfortable here. I think I should move somewhere else. I moved like four times in one year and that was, you know, moving one time is stressful. And so, you know, you have to move all your stuff multiple times and, Um, yeah, that, that was crazy. And, and so, so you had how many properties, Jeff? Uh, two, two. Yeah. The condo in the house. Yeah. I got the condo using a VA loan. So it was like zero, zero down. And then after like two years, I had like a hundred thousand dollars in equity in it. And I was like, I was like, I can't go back to just because I was uh, stationed overseas. And after I came back from uh, Japan being stationed over there, I was like, I can't just go back to living in, in this, this little modest two bedroom condo. I got to like live the high life. I got to be a baller. I want to be a, a dual property owner. So I was like, I got a hundred thousand in equity. I'm going to put that, I'm going to take out a HELOC, a home equity line of credit. And I'm going to put that as my 20% down on a house. And then it was like, you know, easy come easy go. Cause I started with zero down. And then I basically ended up with zero after I lost the house and the condo. Hmm. So what was the biggest lesson learned? Oh man. Biggest lesson learned from losing everything was that financial education is something that we all have access to and that it's not as complicated as the commission-based financial planners would make it seem, that we can all learn enough to be able to do the basics because all of the people who are very successful with their saving and their investing, I think a lot of them would say they just have a very simple, boring plan. And so you don't have to be intimidated by people who think that or who people who would present themselves saying that you need my help. You need my help and I'm going to pay you. I'm going to charge you one to two percent management fee, although it's not going to be blatantly spelled out like that. It's going to be in these prospectuses that are like 50 pages long and you're not going to know what any of it means. But, yeah, it's that I felt like it made me cautiously it made me cautious enough to want to take calculated risks. Anytime I was going to take a risk after that, it was going to be a calculated risk because it was like after losing everything, it it gave me this like like this muscle that was just like wound up tight. And it was like when there was something that seemed like it was a little bit risky, it was like, nope, nope, I got to check my math. I got to run the numbers, uh, double check the numbers. Like I've got to make sure all of this works out. And so like, if I'm looking at a piece of uh, real estate today, it's like, okay, well, this is what the comps are for Airbnb, but what if Airbnb uh, goes away because San Diego is cracking down on how many you can have in the city? What if, uh, so what if I I can't have this as an Airbnb? What if it has to be a long-term rental? All right, well, then I'll run the numbers for long-term rentals. Um, Like I'm always planning like a plan A, a plan B, and maybe even a plan C. So I never get caught like I did in 2008 where I lost everything. So in 2008, did you try to shift careers or do you think about making a move that way or? Yeah, so when I I got out as, as a naval officer, I wasn't 
I wasn't a pilot or a doctor. I was just a regular line officer, like ship driver. So we don't really have a transferable skill. And uh, I've noticed that a lot of people, when they get out of the, the, the Navy as an officer, they'll go into some kind of position in like corporate America, maybe like a, a really high paying job would be a pharmaceutical sales rep. And I got, I had a headhunter line me up with a couple different interviews. One was with Kraft Foods and then the other one, I, I can't even remember, but you know, I, I, I'm like a health nut at heart. And so like, I didn't want to be a pharmaceutical sales rep because I don't even take like over the counter medicine for myself. So I, I don't think I could ever get excited about that job. It would just be an extension of the Navy where I never really felt like I, I never really believed in what I was doing. Um, and, uh, and then like the craft foods interview, I remember I thought, yeah, I, I think I could do this. And, and then I was just thinking about like, you know, GMOs and all the preservatives. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I could work for a company like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I did contemplate like going into a career change like that, but it just, nothing really stuck. And it, it was like, I, I didn't have my heart in it. And so by default, I was just kind of forced to try to make things work as a small business owner with a video production company, you know, as a freelancer. And so that's what I did for about two years, um, from 2008 to 2010. Interesting. So Jeff, maybe just walk us through a little bit. What was that like mindset wise, moving from, you know, that safety security to taking that risk a little bit to, you mentioned earlier, you like that government, you know, security of a job, but what was that like, that evolution in your mind as it related to your finances and, and you know, investing and growing your net worth? Well, for the longest time, I just had the blinders on. I was like probably a lot of Americans where they say like uh, most Americans couldn't pay for an unexpected expense of like $400. That was definitely me because um, I was at a point where I had basically cashed in my 401k that I had from six years in the Navy to live off of. And I was starting to do cash advances on my credit card to live off of. Uh, this was in like 2007, 2008. And uh, really what I should have done was I should have said, all right, this is crazy. I'm losing my house. I need to just move back home to Illinois, live with my parents and kind of figure out what the next step's going to be. But I was just like living day to day and just kind of figuring, oh, it's all going to work out. And, you know, by the time I started with my um, government job in 2010, I was $10,000 in credit card debt from those uh, cash advances. And so I think that speaks to how I was not planning ahead and I was I was not looking at the big picture and what I was doing and that I was digging myself into this deeper and deeper hole that was it was pretty bleak because I I think it was like it was such a scary picture that I was in losing everything that the only way that I could deal with it was to not think about it um, and to just hope that it got better um, but it was like, there wasn't really anything to be hopeful about, to be honest. And so, you know, that, um, that USA jobs announcement that somebody forwarded to me over email, that was, that was the life preserver. That was the, the hope that I didn't even know was out there that existed. Uh, I had never applied to a government job before that one. And so it's, uh, it was just, it was very, it was a huge blessing. The fact that, I actually landed my first government job I applied for because 
I've heard I've heard of people like they're applying for years and years. They can't even get an interview. So, yeah, I'm just extremely grateful that I finally kind of landed on my feet. So, Jeff, you've you've got this great background and great story. I think a lot of people will definitely resonate with as you look forward into the future now that you've kind of got yourself to to the uh, you know, a level where one come on the show, but two where you you've made significant progress, uh, you know, financially and personally. Where do you go from here? Yeah, you know, um I know like a lot of times you guys will ask like, well, what's your goal? Like, when are you going to be done? And I, I, I wrote a post about like how, even though I'm not a millionaire today, I, I can do a financial projection to know like, all right, if, if, you know, with everything growing at the rate it is, let's say 8%, I will be a millionaire in five years. So that is something that I can look forward to. And then after that, you know, by the time I'm eligible to retire uh, at 55, well, then my net worth is going to be X, you know? And, and so it's, it's interesting because I've always had to like struggle and hustle. And, you know, before getting to this point, I had a GI bill benefits where I hadn't used it yet. And there was a, you have to, when I got out of the the Navy, there was a 15 year uh, expiration date on it. And for the longest time, I didn't know what I was going to study and would there be a program that I could uh, enroll in that I could still do it while I'm working full time on nights and weekends. And so, yeah, like I, I enrolled in that. I, I got two master's degrees over the last few years and that was like crazy busy, just like working and then having schoolwork and homework and, and then trying to get in my workouts before work and, and commuting, driving to class and coming back and just like insane. But I knew I have to do this because like not only do you get school paid for, but they will the VA also gives you a housing allowance. And I knew this housing allowance, that is gonna be what basically pays for my next piece of rental property. And so, like, yes, I'm gonna keep saving, but like that's gonna be huge for me to have that 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 windfall over the course of the time that I'm in school. Cause I just saved every bit of that housing allowance. It was about $2,000 cause I, I get 80% of it with my six years that I served. And so, you know, I saved that $2,000 every single month of the, the two years of school uh, that was spread out over three years. Cause I took some months off. And so to get back to your question, I feel like this is the first time maybe in my life that I have like hit all those milestones and all the things that had like hard and fast deadlines. Like I have to get this done by a certain time. I have to buy a piece of property like as soon as possible. So time's working on my side and it's kind of starting to build equity. And I have to get my own place because I'm living at home in COVID and I've got to, you know, get some freedom and some autonomy and some of my own, like my own space, you know, after doing all that and after, after taking advantage of my GI bill benefits, uh, before it expired, I feel like when I go back to San Diego uh, in a month when this work detail is done, it'll be like like this huge burden off my back. Like I don't have to get stuff done. Like I don't have to do certain things by a certain date anymore. 
in a way, it's it's almost like I will have this mini version of uh, financial independence where, you know, those people who retire at uh, usually younger than than most, then they're at that state where they don't worry about things and they can kind of set their own schedules. I, I feel like I'm at that point now. And like I've run the numbers. My my expenses right now are about $5,000 a month. Uh, half of that is my, my mortgage, although that mortgage is being paid for right now while I'm on this work detail. So my savings rate's even higher. But like I was running the numbers before this call, because uh, I usually don't look at them that closely. And, and it was like between my my pension when I retire at 55, uh, we have a social security supplement that covers us from when we retire up until 62 and my VA disability. Like I'm, I'm going to have more than that $5,000. It's going to be, I think, like $6,500 um, a month. And so it's just like it's so weird to be in this disposition after everything I told you, all of the hardships, all the struggle to now be in a place where like if my retirement day was today, I already have run all the numbers to know all of my expenses are going to be taken care of. And so now everything's just gravy from here on out. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I'm, I'm in a, a very, I, I feel very blessed. I'm in a great position now. And I think maybe that's why I feel so compelled to want to kind of preach the gospel and, and even though it's like, it's very uncomfortable for people to talk about their own fa- finances, they don't want to brag and they don't want to make other people feel bad. I think because I've been in such a, a bad place myself and I've been able to pull myself out of it, I think that's the thing that makes me want to kind of spread that message of hope that uh, it is possible. And I think uh, that's, that's why, I think that's, that's why I might feel that, that, that drive that, you know, maybe I might be able to help somebody else who was in the same position that I was in. And, and maybe by putting a fun, like RuPaul spin on things and making the material a little bit sassy and a little bit kind of campy, like maybe then I can, I can take a subject matter that might normally be dry to somebody and maybe I can spice it up and and get their interest enough where they can realize like, Hey, this isn't so intimidating after all. Uh, maybe I, I can take some baby steps and, and it's really like those small little atomic habits, baby steps where you, you do something that makes you 1% better, but maybe it's like, uh, you know, you did a few things that set you up for life. And when you look back, you know, in 30 years, you're like, wow, that one little thing that I did, like now it just made a huge world of difference. So right. yeah, right. so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, well, thanks for opening up. So let me just ask you a couple things here on this while we're talking about the story. So was there a moment in time, a specific memory or something that happened where you said, gosh, I've got to figure it out. I've got to get it together and figure this out and move forward. Was there a time where where it kind of that I've had it moment? Yeah, I think the I've had it moment was probably seeing my dog, uh, Zoe, get, you know, pretty emaciated and her ribs showing and and to have friends pointed out that uh, it was something that was noticeable to somebody who wasn't seeing her as often as I was. That was, that might've been the, the, the breaking point. Cause it's like, you know, if, if we have made bad financial decisions in our life and, and it only affects us, I think it's something that's, it's a little bit easier to get up and say, all right, well, you know, I made my bed, so I'm going to lie in it. But to have my my bad financial decisions affect someone else. I think that was the thing that it, it really did not sit well with me. Like she is relying on me, uh, for everything. And like, I, she depends on me. I am letting her down. I think that might've been the thing that really pushed Mm -hmm. over the edge. Yeah. 
And then when did you, you talked about learning this and it's kind of a dry subject, right? And maybe not exciting personal finance that is to people. Was there a moment where, where you said, hey, I can figure this out. You yeah. know, I, I can learn this stuff for myself and I can move forward here. Yeah. Um, somebody asked me that the other day and I had to almost like reverse engineer it to think back, like, when did it start? I've always been into documentaries and learning different things. And, um, and so I think like uh, Tim Ferriss, um, four hour work week was something that kind of planted a seed, rich dad, poor dad planted a seed, but I was still operating from more of like the entrepreneur mindset having had my own freelance uh, video production company. And so I had read these different books from an entrepreneur's mindset, but it was still the ideas applied as somebody who's going to be uh, an investor and trying to think uh, think differently where you're working smarter, not harder. And uh, and all that stuff can be applied toward investing. And and then just because I'm, I was always interested in like learning new things, it was the 2014 uh, PBS frontline special, The Retirement Gamble. I don't know where I first heard about it, but I watched that and it was, you know, it's short. It's like 45 minutes long. And that just like blew everything open for me. It was like, man, I feel like I just got a master's degree in finance um, after seeing all the like the shady stuff that's done with uh, with management fees. And, um, and, and so I think after that, I think it, it helped build up my confidence that, you know, I can, I can learn this and that it's not so intimidating. And, uh, and so then I started really like looking into, you know, different things that I could do saving up for real estate. Um, somebody introduced me to the whole fire movement, uh, about maybe four years ago. And so then I just really geeked out on that and started going down the rabbit hole there. And so, yeah, it's been evolutionary, um, but I, I'd say it probably started with that uh, PBS uh, special, Retirement Gamble. Awesome. And then oh. real, real quick on the real oh, estate, you're, how there much is your... There's, sorry, there was something else oh, I sorry, go ahead. about that. I, I want to say it before I forget. And I was listening to uh, an interview with the, the couple from Rich and Regular, and they had mentioned how that was something that they watched early in their relationship. And I was like, oh, so I'm not alone. Like somebody else, other people out there, like that, that documentary resonated with other people too. And so this is kind of like an interesting side note of how there's so many like um, snakes of like uh, snake oil salesmen out there as uh, financial planners. So I had a financial planner at the time. And I said, and I, I was kind of feeling like, uh, I don't know, I don't know that I really feel like this is a good fit and that I'm getting my money's worth. And so I approached him um, in one of our meetings and I said, uh, hey, you know, I just saw this special by PBS, The Retirement Gamble. I think there's some stuff we should talk about because I wanted to know how much are my management fees and I want to have an intellectual conversation about this thing, this, this, this uh, piece of research uh, investigative journalism that to me, it seemed like there was a lot of great points being made. And I, and I, I somewhat trusted this guy and this company and I thought, but I want to feel even better about it. I want to, I want to pull out all the different thorns of doubt by let's have a conversation about this. And I said, Hey, I think that you would really like this documentary. It talks about your industry. And, uh, and I think that then it'll give us some ideas moving forward. And he just brushed the whole thing off. And he said, Oh, you know what? You can find things that, you know, discredit any industry and and I'm sure that you can find it, anything anything out there. You'd be able to find something. He wouldn't even take the time to look into it and see what it was all about. And I was like, 
is PBS, you know? It's like the equivalent of the Associated Press. It's like one of the most reliable <laughs> information. And so, you know, I eventually just said, all right, you know, we're going to have to part ways. I eventually fired him as my financial planner. And even though there were all the withdrawal fees, I only had like $10,000 invested uh, with them at the time. So it's like, I'm fine just like biting the bullet and and paying this whatever 10 to 20% surrender fee, because I would much rather pay it now with $10,000 than I would with $100,000 invested with them. So I was like, all right, well, this is part of my financial tuition right now. I'm yeah. getting education, yeah. I'm getting that tuition, and I'm learning these lessons now. Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. So real quick here, let's close with some rapid fire questions. So the real estate that you have now, you said you have a paid for rental, is that right? I do, yes, sir. How much does it cash flow? Um, it's about a thousand dollars a month right now, and it it would be more if I did the the management myself. But I have a co-host who um, he gets fifteen percent of the booking fees, and then he collects the entire cleaning fee. So you know, for people who do Airbnb and they they turn it over um, themselves, you know, you can make even more money. But That's I've been good. Yeah, I've been very happy to have. It's a, a single family. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just a one bedroom condo. That's good. Thousand dollars a month is great. Yeah, single yeah. family. Okay. Uh, the real estate didn't scare you off, I guess, huh? In 2008? No, I, I mean, this was just a, I, I told myself I'm only going to get a two bedroom condo when I buy again, because then I can always have a roommate. And then prices were, were so high, you know, now they're even higher, but, and I was like, all right, I'll look at a one bedroom. So then I bought a one bedroom and, uh, yeah, it's been amazing because in San Diego, even though it's uh, like 15 minutes from downtown, People want to visit San Diego from all over the country. We even have visitors from other places in the world. And they're like, you know, it's close enough. It doesn't need to be right in downtown or right in the beach because we're going to be driving to everything. Right, so, right. yeah, it's worked out really well. Awesome. Okay, what's been your range of household income? Um, so when I started with my government job, it was around 50K. And now I'm sitting at around 100K. And I, I wow, think- good for you. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. So doubled it slowly. And that's just been from, you know, starting as a GS-11 now to GS-12. So no huge jumps. I'm not a supervisor. Pretty, pretty modest. Okay. And what about annual household spending? Uh, about 5000 a month. Uh, well, once I moved back into the, the my condo that I bought um, before coming out here, my second condo, it'll be about 5000 a month. Half of that will be toward the mortgage and HOAs and everything. Okay. And biggest financial mistake? Um, I mean, we, co- we covered a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I can actually pepper in even more mistakes for you. All right. Let me, let me flip it then and say, what, what's your biggest financial piece of advice? Oh, um, let's see. Biggest piece of financial advice um, would be set it and forget it. Um, pay yourself first and then just work with whatever's left over. And all of the numbers will work themselves out. Well, awesome, Jeff. I mean, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your candor. And I think a lot of people are going to resonate with your story. So thanks for coming on and being willing to open up and share it. And I know you mentioned a blog. Tell us where people can find that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Homo Money. So it's homo.money. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be writing about uh, military benefits. Uh, I'm single. I'm LGBT. So you know, if, if somebody's out there who is single, who's LGBT, who's an ally, who's military vet, I think that I'll be able to uh, have some content out there that would appeal to somebody who might not fit into all the other categories of blogs that are out there. And I'll be writing about my mistakes. Like you didn't, I, we didn't have a chance to talk about it, but I have sold some of the best stocks. Like I could have had um, Amazon when they first started, I could have had 
so much Apple, but I, I cashed it in to buy my second piece of uh, real estate that I lost in the crash. There's just like so many things that I've done wrong with like the stock market and everything else that, uh, yeah, I feel like I, I've got plenty to share with people. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jeff, for coming on. Thanks for opening up again. Net worth over $600,000. Well on your way to becoming a millionaire. We'll have to have you on again to do your uh, million-dollar holler, as Jace calls it. So. I would love to do the million-dollar holler. It would probably yeah. be around 2025. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Well, thanks again. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.